Welcome to another episode of Cinematrimony, and uh, we may we may not do quite the full half hour, two hour that we typically do today, um, but we're just going to see where this goes. Francesca and I are uh, just home from seeing Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. It's a um, kind of a surprising hit for Woody, for a guy whose movies are uh, not typically big commercial successes and Sometimes aren't. Uh, It's done very well. I think it's passed, currently, I think it's passed $20 million, which would make it his most successful since uh, Match Point. And it it may, it's basically, it keeps expanding every weekend, which is uh, a very good sign. So it could end up being his most successful in a a very long time. But, um, but, and and because it's been so successful, I want to talk to, um, I want to talk to a non Woody Allen fan. Because there are plenty of Woody Allen fans in the Film Nerds crew, and we may end up doing a larger podcast on this movie later. But Francesca, you are um, you are kind of the among the many things you suffer of, uh, you know, as the wife of me. One of them is my uh, my undying devotion to Woody Allen and his movies, which I have which seen. Which should be noted, poser. That is based on the fact that the Flanagans. Oh, like that's them. not true. I don't. I don't. I don't. My love of Woody Allen is uh, entirely separate from the Flanagans' love. And I think they, the reason you delved into the delved into the world of Woody Allen with such gusto was based on the fact that you sort of worshipped no, I those think, Flanagan boys. Oh, no, and thanks. who doesn't look? And I who think doesn't? I would. I would say it's fair to say that the Flanagans uh, encouraged me to give him a try. But they've encouraged me to try a lot of things that I didn't like at all. So, uh, I but but yeah, I mean, I in late in my that college. So, that's such a loaded thing to say. I don't even know what to take. From well, that. I'm talking. We'll say strictly movies right now. But I'm. Right. I mean, I. What is? I don't you know. Tell me something. No. Anyways, Please. I. Uh, but I mean, I, I'm I'm one of those guys who's seen every single Woody Allen movie, which I think we're at forty plus now, and um, you know, I I don't love all of them equally but I do I do always enjoy watching a Woody Allen movie and I think um you know it's it's definitely it, at least in the last 10 years they're of varying quality and I think you've seen a good number of the ones from the last 10 years which ones do you know or remember seeing recently um I know you've seen uh I know you've seen um Melinda and Melinda right. you've seen Match Point all right we saw that one with Hugh Jackman. You've, you've seen Scoop, yeah. Johansson. Mm-hmm. Um, what was last year's? Uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Have you seen yes, that? Yes, I watched that on DVD with you. Okay, and um, C- Cassandra's Dream. Did you see that one? Yep. Okay, um, we saw that with Ben Flanagan. Yeah, and the I aforementioned. And one I, of the I don't think you've seen the last two though, which were the 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 uh, Larry David. Movie. Yeah, I did see that one. You did watch that with me. Yeah, we Netflix. Okay, Evan and uh, Rachel. Thank you. Yeah, right, and then there was uh, there was last year's, which was called "You Will Meet a, Dal- a Tall Dark Stranger," which yes, uh, I didn't see that. You've one. not seen, but you've seen. I mean, for a mainstream, for for someone who is a normal, who has a, a kind of the rest of America's feelings about Woody Allen, and uh, for the I'd most say part, I'm a little more knowledgeable and cultured yeah. when it comes to. But for yeah. the most part, you're not a fanboy. 
Well, no, he's not someone who I'm, I, I, he's too much like SNL <laughs> to me that, you know, the percentages are low enough that I can't really say I'm a fan. So you're making an analogy to Saturday Night Live with Woody Allen in that he's he's too hit or miss for you to watch all of his movies. Pretty much. You'd rather see the confirmed greatest hits. Yes. Well, yeah. Okay. I'll so, give him a try. But it's not, again, for me, uh, Woody Allen to you is Wes Anderson to me. Even Wes Anderson's bad movies, I just enjoy the Wes Anderson You just Anderson like the experience. thing he does. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So... Which is not to say I'm not putting them on the same level. Obviously, people, get your underpants out of the lawn. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. I'm just saying, you know, that that's kind of, to me... No, it's, that's, that was that, a that fine analogy. The, that was fine. All right. I just, I just don't want, you know, people going, yeah. what? It's a very distinctive thing that he does. I like the voice they use, even yeah. if I don't always like the story. Okay. So, the, all of that said, all of that set up, um, what did you think of Midnight in Paris, A, just as a movie, and B as a Woody Allen movie compared to the other stuff you've seen from him. I liked it very much. And I'm, um, I'm not surprised because I generally like him better. Sentimental. Uh, I generally like him better when he's working sentimental and nostalgic. You know, I love radio days. I enjoyed purple rose of Cairo. Look at you dropping all kinds of Woody Allen movies Two, Matt. I dropped two of them. (laughs) Right then. But, you know, I was kind of thinking about it on the way home from the movie while not talking to you about the movie that I feel like he and probably this is a sentiment that a lot of New Yorkers or big city people have. He's sort of like got, you know, he's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or did I mix him up in as much as he's got like big city cynicism. But then also you sort of have to be a romantic to live in a city. And I mean, he's a man who plays clarinet in a jazz band. Like, obviously... He, he is very much this character of, like, romanticizes the past and, you know, and we've seen sure. it before in his films, but then this is a character who very, you know, literally, that's his character trait, is that he mm-hmm. wishes he lived in another era, and I'm sure, you know, again, I think people who live in big cities probably have kind of both sides of that to them, because, yes, you live in New York, and you're going to be cynical because you've probably been... You probably had like a homeless person spit in your mouth. I think that's something that Tina Fey <laughs> so, says or something. 30 30 rock, rock, yeah. yeah, that like that's probably happened. But then you're also like all this great old architecture, all this romantic, you know, scenery, and you know, you go, you know, big cities are kind of what people to aspire to and whatnot. And certainly, clearly, this was a love letter to Paris. This movie. I mean, even. In the opening, which then it should be noted got cut off in our. I know. I hate. To, I hate that. I'm. But I, it seemed to be that the. It seems like the opening sequence was wrapping up right when we lost power. Yeah, I and think then it came in maybe three or four we, minutes. We later. basically we basically we missed the missed, very very opening scene. Well, of I the think we missed characters. the title card. I, I imagine there was oh, yeah. a title card in there that said oh, "Midnight in so Paris." Sad. We at imagine some point. it. But you know, even obviously his character is romanticizing Paris in the twenties, but. Alan very obviously is, you know, opens the movie going like, look at what a great city this is still. And that's, you know, modern day Paris mm-hmm. that he's, he's basically, you know, it's a series of postcards of beautiful shots of Paris that make you go, Oh, it's beautiful. And it's, you know, beautiful in the day and it's beautiful at night. And so, you know, I think he, he sees a city with a romantic eye and that's kind of what this is about. Anyways, my point is I like it. I like it both as a movie on its own, although, of course, it's, I mean, it smacks of Alan in as much of, as it's, you know, intelligent people having intelligent conversations. And, you know, I like it in his body of work because that tends to be this type of movie of his that I like. You know, I, of course, appreciate Matchpoint, but I definitely prefer him working in his more fantastical escapism 
mode. And lighter, too, I think you'd probably say. You like the lighter oh, stuff yeah. of what he does. Yeah. And again, I appreciate... And as, as light know, as Woody Hannah Allen. and her sisters, right. but, you know, I, I tend to... For for me in general, well, Hannah and her sisters is a comedy, really. I mean, it's well, kind of dark, too. Yeah, a little bit. Well, look, it's always going to be dark because you're talking about a guy whose philosophy of the world is that life is ultimately bad, and that you should just really appreciate you, the little good things that you get. But I'm saying that he, yes, he has that side, but then he also really can do and makes beautiful, uplifting movies, and it just seems like he's got this kind of dichotomy. Of he can't decide whether he's a cynic or a romantic, so he just splits it down the middle with his movies. That right. you know, sometimes he just does a very like sweet and lovely movie, and sometimes he does a very cynical movie. Mm-hmm. And I just tend to prefer his more uplifting ones. Yeah, I think this probably is mostly an uplifting movie, mostly a positive movie. Although it is no, I mean, because even even his you know his stand in. Uh, Owen Wilson, you know, in this movie, which we'll talk about that in a minute, I'm sure. Okay. But, um, you know, I mean, he says at the very end, like, I think the little insight that I'm having, you know, even that's, I think, I right. feel like that's Woody Allen going like, this isn't a big message, but here's the little message right, that yeah, I have Right, yeah, and he spells you. it out, yeah. That is, you know, the fu- you know, the future, a.k.a. like the current time is not so bad, really, mm-hmm. when you start to think about the nitty gritty of well, it. Well, not that, it's just that the past isn't any better, no matter whether you think it is or not. Yeah, and the, well, the and, line and it's in there, the living in it that makes us yes, you know, not appreciate it fully. Right, and the uh, the the line that he gives in there, he, he brings up this reference at some point. I think he, Owen Wilson's talking about a dream he had, but Woody Allen has said it in the press elsewhere, talking about the movie that basically oh, yeah. you might think the past is great, and then you remember they didn't have Novocaine. Right. So well, and for me, I think you know, oh, like. Oh, the 50s or 60s were a beautiful time. And then I'm like, but air conditioning. Oh, no. Racism also. (laughs) Nuclear war. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at any rate. (laughs) That kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm just saying, for me, it's always the hang up that I get stuck on is like, but air conditioning. Dear God, what do we do with that? Yeah, the little things. Right. Yeah. Can't even imagine. But, you know, I just thought it was a a very pleasant and enjoyable movie. But, yeah, I think it's interesting that you brought up radio days because he's almost mocking the kind of person that would make radio days in this movie and sort of pointing out the foolishness of that. Because radio days isn't about like wanting to go back at that time. That's just him being nostalgic for his. Yeah, but it is steeped in, it is just, it is nostalgia. There's nothing else to it than that. It's just a. Right, but that's okay to appreciate it. No, it's fine. And also radio days is not, you know, I mean, there are sad parts in it and it's not. It's not completely glossy, you know? Yeah, I guess. I, I would say mostly Radio Days, um, you know, even even Manhattan, if you want to talk about sort of romanticizing, the opening sequence of Manhattan is very similar, just a different soundtrack than uh, than what we get at the beginning of this movie, like the postcard shots, like you said. But, but um, Oh, no, I should, should copyright that. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was good. But, I mean, I, I think... He's he's a guy who has Woody Allen's um, Woody Allen's become less romantic as he's gotten older, and um, and I think it's nice and it's refreshing to see him almost admit to himself in this movie that it is okay to have that romance factor in his movies again. And there's it, you know. It doesn't make him uncool to be romantic, and in fact, he should sort of embrace it a little bit and just appreciate it for what it is, 
and acknowledge that that's not completely reality and that that's not all there is. But, um, but it doesn't all have to be, you know, it doesn't all have to end with people getting shot basically, which is what a lot of his movies in the last 10 years have ended in. And they're, they're, some of them have been very good movies, but he has been mostly cynical, uh, about the human experience in, in his recent years. And, um, I don't know. This felt this felt a lot like those '80s Woody Allen movies, like Radio Days and like Purple Rose of Cairo, where there's some bitterness to it, and he's always going to talk about. I'd say bittersweetness. Yes, at worst. yeah. Well, that's I where I, that's where I was going. Bitter. That was where I was going with it. I mean, he's it, it's it's still always that that life probably ends with you being more sad than you were happy. But that there are many good things no, he, that happen gave, to you in life. He gave he gave his protagonist a happy ending in this one. Well, and yeah, this movie it ended. Very nice. It ended well for him, but I think he would tell you that you know it's not it's not all going to be perfect, and you have to just deal with what with what comes basically. And he just you know he was just mostly the way this movie ends for Owen Wilson's character is he figures out a way to move on with his life and make a decision that doesn't really have to do with, uh, you know, with being wrapped up in nostalgia and hiding the truth from himself. Yeah. Cause I guess that's the, the reason he's still with Rachel McAdams is just because he's in denial. Right. Well, so let's talk about Owen Wilson. I have to say, I was kind of, I was a little skeptical going in. Like this is, this is the Woody Allen stand in. But then like, as soon as I'm watching it, I'm like, no, this is totally, this is totally right. Like, Oh, I thought he's he was sort of, great, and I don't think he's—I don't think he's totally a Woody Allen stand-in in the way that some other guys have been. But I, I felt—I felt that I got that sense of you know the kind of like he's very good at the like you know asides and little like offhanded mm-hmm. remarks and like just kind of the stuttering like that. And I don't know why I didn't—I guess because you know Owen Wilson, you always kind of feel like he's sort of like a surfer dude, and you know Woody Allen's whole thing is being uptight in New York, but mm-hmm. like. You know, they're kind of the you know Woody Allen's the original mumblecore guy, and and you know, and Owen Wilson is kind of you know, he was he was before that was even a thing too. You know that that was kind of his kind of bumbly delivery was you know was very endearing, mm-hmm. and, and this being an up you know beat kind of more piece upbeat piece, huh, a more upbeat movie, it works I think as well. Like you know there was there was a certain humor. That was brought in by Owen Wilson's delivery that I think you might have missed in less capable Yeah, he, he has a couple of really good old-school Woody Allen comedy scenes. Uh, one that jumps out at me is the scene where he's trying to take Rachel McAdams back to 1920s Paris. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's just building it up too much. And he says, uh, I think one of the things he says is, you know, when you see this, you are going to wonder why I wasn't more crazy today right. or something like that. He's just like completely building it up and you know, it's not going to go anywhere. And then the scene where, um, he took the earring, the scene with the earrings that is so like, funny. that's just, uh, that is, that is just cl- kind of classic Woody Allen slapstick that, well, that and the par- he's her known for. Were so funny. That was, yeah, that was were so good. well drawn. And I loved that when, you know, the scene where they're breaking up and the parents come in, the mom's reaction to her saying like, we're breaking up. Right. The mom goes like, I told you so. Right. Like, that's like the first thing or he's no, she said like, he's moving to Paris and the mom, I knew it. not at all sympathetic. Yes. yes. I knew it. 
Like, that's how she reacted. Yeah, well, I mean, they're definitely, that whole family is very broadly drawn characters, but that's, you know, that's fine. That's, for a movie oh, yeah. like this, that's what it needs to be. No, that's what I'm saying. It was very, yeah. it was very fun and funny. And, of course, it was nice to see Rachel McAdam go back to a little bit of a Mean Girls Yes. Moment. It was obviously much more subdued. Than She's that very character. good at that, though. She's, she, uh, you know, I think people wanted to try to make her the the heroine for a little while. That and and uh, it just never it just never completely was gonna feel right because she's capable of more than that. She's well, capable of is, being more than just the dull, pretty romantic lead. She can do some funny stuff, and she's really funny in this movie. Well, and it was it was it was a very slyly written character because at first you kind of it's like very quietly and subtly revealed like she's kind of horrible right but, like you don't get that she's for completely a while. shallow yeah like it becomes she's just kind of in these little ways is revealing herself to be like a mm-hmm. just really gross person well know? and also speaking of that oh god the um the uh who, who are we who what michael sheen yeah michael sheen i was i keep trying to say martin sheen. no michael no, michael him. sheen's character is uh it's so funny it's a uh it's a really Really nicely done douchebag character. He keeps on saying, like, if I'm not incorrect. Yeah. Or, like, that's how he prefaces everything. Or, like, if I'm right. Yeah. I think that. But he clearly is saying it to mean, like, I'm just pretending to be humble and I know I'm right. Well, and that's the... Uh, he argues with him, he's like, no. If you want to call if you want to call Owen Wilson the Woody Allen stand-in in this movie, then uh, the Michael, Ma- Michael Sheen is the Allen Alda stand-in, yes. And, and now, also should be noted... The girl who played his wife was. She was fun. really funny she too. Was so yeah, funny. she was great. She, yeah, the, the, and the little, and of course, really, she was delivering it well. But the credit also has to go to Alan because I'm sure he wrote in the whole thing about that she would say a French word and then say it again, like with a different pronunciation. Right. Like she's the Sorbonne. Yeah. Sorbonne. Sorbonne. So, she just always like repeat yes. whatever the French word. Was. No, she would say it French first, and then she would say the English translation. I think, but yeah, um, and then. Just to briefly hit on the some of the better of the twenties people because they were all good. I thought they were all really good. But I think that um I think Adrian Brody's little little uh, bit part is really Adrian fun. Brody. Uh and I think I think Allison Pill was really entertaining. Yeah, who was Zelda Fitzgerald. Like, I have gotta give her major props because she is like Coming she's coming on as a character actress and like no one her age gets to do character stuff and yeah. she's like really become the go-to girl and she's for, gonna like, be on the uh, interesting part she's gonna be in the new aaron sorkin series too yeah she's she's good stuff i yeah. like her a lot um by the way tom hiddleston from thor was f scott fitzgerald did you know that loki from thor that was loki yeah he looks better with the lighter hair i have yeah to get, I okay have to tell him. um also the guy who did Hemingway. His name is Corey Stoll. I can't say that I've seen him in anything else. He was great. But that's a really well written part because yeah, he was writing. He like was reading. Hemingway he, prose. he speaks in in novel. Yeah, he speaks in prose. Yeah, yeah. it was great. Yeah, the, I, the, there's a scene where he's when he's riding in the car with Owen Wilson, and he goes on this long. Uh, run-on sentence too, this run-on sentence where he's telling the story of his uh spanish friend yeah it's just that's a great scene that was really funny um i just i love oh, his delivery was kathy terrific. kathy bates did not disappoint she, she was never when is she going to yeah. in this world and then oh, we have to cotillard. say marion cotillard is becoming to me that girl is a you know we talk about this a lot in our podcast that there aren't really movie stars 
anymore. Marion Cotillard is a movie star, and she is up there to me. And I, I don't think I'm just making this parallel because they were in a movie together. But to me, one of the few that I would say that about is Leonardo DiCaprio feels like a movie star. He's got a, a grandness to him when you watch him. I think when you watch Marion Cotillard, she's ethereal. She is not... Um, and that's perfect for this part in this movie because that's not supposed to be a realistic human character. It's this sort of fantasy character. And, um, man, she just was so, uh, was so watchable in this movie. She would, she, every, every decision she makes is so right for me and everything I've seen her in. Well, she, I, I'm watching this movie and I had first the thought, like, you know, I've, I've considered it a, a mark of maturity that, I no longer want to, like, look like someone else. Like, that's what I used to do when I was, you know... Right. When you're a young girl, you, like, see a picture in a magazine. Like, that's what I wish I looked like. And now, when you're an old, fat woman about to have a baby, all you think is, like, I just wish I looked like me, like, five years ago. But Marion Cotillard... I wish I looked like Marion Cotillard. <laughs> I think she is gorgeous. But he says in the movie, and I think this is really what is captivating about her, he's, like, he says, like, your face is so interesting. Yeah. And that's the thing. Because like, she isn't... She doesn't look about, like an actress, like me, an American actress. To yeah. me, the women who on screen, like really light up the screen, do have interesting faces. It's mm-hmm. not just pretty. And of course she is gorgeous, but there's, you know, she kind of has, she kind of has, you know, like bags under her eyes and sort of, you know, her teeth are a little bit not perfect. Like there's something like very mm-hmm. beguiling about her face. And, you know, you can take your Megan Foxes and whoever else is in Transformers and there's nothing interesting about them, but you get a Marion Cotillard, a Rachel Vice. you know, these mm-hmm. are women with interesting faces who, yes, are beautiful, but if you kind of take them apart, they're not... You know, their faces make sense all together, yeah. but they don't have, like, beautiful features. Well, kind of Uma Thurman thing, too, yeah. where, like, she comes across as beautiful, but you look at her features, and you're like, actually, she's a little odd-looking. There was, but, a, like, there was a guy on NPR recently did a little sort of essay piece where he talked about um, that, you know, back in the day, there used to be uh, – there used to be you – could, you could basically do an impression – of any movie star from the day, any big movie star, you could do an impression of them. There was an impression, there was a generally established, caricatured impression of them. And that you don't really have impressionists as much today because it's really hard to do impressions of the people who are famous and acting in movies today because they're not interesting people. They don't have uh, unique qualities and especially that's that's true more so with women than it is with men Absolutely. because women are afraid to establish their own personality on screen. And Ben Flanagan and I actually talked about this in the, um, in the podcast that we did for terms of endearment, mm. but you know, you, who, who out there can you do an impression of? And Kathy I, I Bates. Yeah, <laughs> Kathy know? Bates, like, but, but they're very, they're very rare, especially younger women. None of the younger generation of women, it feels like, I mean, other than, Ones who you can't take seriously, like Anna Faris, you can't really take, you can't really do impressions of them. And I, you know, maybe that's not the perfect way of judging whether or not there are a lot of movie stars, but, and, and, you know, Marion Cotillard, I guess, isn't all that remarkable as a, as a caricatured outlandish person, but. But she's interesting. She's interesting. She doesn't, uh, you can pick her, you can pick her out from a lineup. You know, and there are a lot of people, there are a lot of famous, famous women that I could not pick out of a lineup, um, you know, that, that are just in everything now. But I, I think, I think it's good, you know, it's, it's probably not a coincidence that this person that we're talking about is not American 
and that she didn't come up through the American studio system. Well, and she got famous for being ugly, you know, like for being an ugly version and ripping the ripping the walls off of that movie. I mean, she well, right, she but tore I mean, it up. Yeah, you know, when in America would a young, beautiful woman be cast to be Edith? Yeah. To be a, a you know, drugged like, out fifty plus year old woman, yeah, yeah nobody would do that. That here. would not happen here, and and she yeah. caught attention. And I remember, you know, the big story when the Oscars came out, including in you know my mind was, oh my gosh, she's like gorgeous. Yeah, what this woman is, is that's the same woman? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. But you know, and here it is, you know, to see the double standards. You've got, you know, you've got two broken noses featured in this movie, and <laughs> the male, you know. In the male department, you've got Adrian Brody and Owen Wilson both there with their crooked noses, and it's mm-hmm. great. You know, I love to see that. I love yeah. the imperfection and the, you know, distinctiveness of people. Yeah. I mean, but you can't do that if you're a girl. Heavens forbid. You right. You be perfect looking if you're under, you know, age 45. Well, then let's give Alison Pill some credit, too, for being in this movie well, and being I, slightly weird that's looking. That's what yeah. I said. I'm, I'm yeah. really impressed with her because I think she's probably <laughs> only in her she's early young. 20s She's or young, yeah. She's getting... Like character roles, which is great. Good for her. Go on, girl. Um, anything else you want to mention about this movie? Um, I think we did it. Look, we we said we said we weren't going to uh, do much on it, but I bet we've we've done a. We didn't say that. You said. Oh, that. I said it. Excuse me, yes. but uh, I mean we've done a solid. You said that you wanted to mention Graham's blog. Yeah, I mean, uh, for for people who are who are fans have seen the movie are interested. Um, Check out our our uh, film nerds contributor Graham Flanagan has a um, a Tumblr site Tumblr blog whatever you want to call that and uh, he he put an entry out there today uh, about uh, basically explaining uh, a little reference that's in Midnight in Paris where he uh, basically the Michael Sheen character refers to uh, Miniver Chivi. and the explanation behind that reference is um, is pretty interesting and it actually explains a lot about probably where the the premise of the movie came from and kind of the inspiration behind it. It's some really good background, uh, a nice little well-researched post from Graham. So we'll we'll put a link to that on the Film Nerds blog so you can go visit it or you can just find it. Major play. You can just find it at uh, grahamcam.tumblr.com. Yeah, and uh, Francesca? Yes. Thank you for um, agreeing to do a podcast on a Woody Allen movie with me. You make it sound like... Come on, and uh, don't give me enough credit. Yeah, no, and and as I said, we may, we may have a more in depth film nerds roundtable podcast on this at some point hey, in the near way, future. You say that a more in depth one. Well, I just mean, uh, how about this? A more nerdy podcast in which we go deeper into the, where this movie fits into the Woody Allen canon. How about that? Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyways, Francesca, Matt, you would. Uh, you would recommend this to anybody? I would. And I'm kind of... I'm it's very to, clean, too. I have to think... Family-friendly, almost. Well, I don't know. I mean, what, what, you can take a 10-year-old and see this movie. I mean, I don't think they'd get it. I'm just saying. I, I, I bet it's not an R-rated movie. Oh, no. I don't think so at all. Yeah. I'd be surprised. I mean, really, it's I PG, think it It's PG-13, PG. and that's mostly because they smoke in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's not really any... any Funny business. No, then. not really. But yes, I recommend it. It's enjoyable. And I kind of wonder, I'm thinking about, you said, you know, it's doing well. There's probably, of course, good word of mouth, but there, you also have the element of, it's a Rachel McAdams movie, you know? So there's probably a certain amount of girls who would never go see a Woody Allen movie. We're like, oh, why don't we see that one? Rachel McAdams? It looks cute. Good point. You know? Good point. And I mean, Owen Wilson too is kind of, 
you know, they might have tricked some people into seeing this movie by their two leads, you know. Well, I don't think anybody who goes to see this movie thinking it's going to be a Rachel McAdams, Owen Wilson movie, a romantic comedy, if you will. I just can't you go in and I don't really think they'll be disappointed at all. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So there's probably – some people have gotten – tricked into going but i think there's probably a good word of mouth like this is something that i would you know tell my parents like i don't know if everybody i don't know if everybody if if that audience would get the um the michael sheen references to uh the wine being tannic but i think but i think they would still enjoy the movie overall i mean let's be honest i didn't get a lot of the references you know but i got enough of them and of course i at least always i can always come in with a little cole porter knowledge i can always Mm -hmm. drop that on you yeah he's my boy that's right. Son. All right. Well, thank you, Francesca, again. Yep. And we will see everybody next time. Bye-bye.